Connect with your potential customers wherever they are. Effective uses Comcast viewership data insights to combine advanced targeting capabilities with premium TV and streaming content so you can deliver the best ad experiences to your audience no matter how they watch. Visit EFFECTV.com. Welcome to the Grit Daily Startup. I'm your host, Sebastian Rusk, and this is a podcast about what goes on behind the scenes at startups. The good, the bad, and the gritty. Let's dive in. Ron, welcome to the show. Oh, nice to be here. It's great to have you here. Thanks for taking some time out of your day to hang out with us here at the Grit Daily Startup Podcast. We'd love to talk about the world of startup, the good, the bad, and what we like to call the gritty. So I'm curious to learn what your experience has been uh, in that space. But before we get into all that, um, I want to better understand a little bit more about you and your backstory. Oh, gosh, I'm old. <laughs> so there's a lot of backstory. Um, I born and raised in Cape Breton Island, Nova Scotia. Unfortunately, they just got a bit of a big hurricane. Um, but everybody's good down there. So I was born and raised down there. And uh, I uh, went to university at, in Halifax at Dalhousie. Uh, at about 21, 22, I decided to start to work in politics, and I became an assistant to a member of parliament. And then a few years later, I became senior political assistant to the deputy prime minister of Canada. Uh, then I was chief of staff to the leader of the Senate in Canada. And then I came back to Nova Scotia for three years, ran for parliament, and served in the federal parliament for about, for about 11 years. Uh, the last thing I did there was parliamentary secretary for international trade. Did the Canada U.S. Southwood Lumber deal, left that and ran the entire forest product sector in uh, British Columbia, and then ran a couple of fisheries, and then got into mining, critical metals, and that's where the green started to happen. <clears throat> so yeah, so we got into the critical metals: lithium, uh, vanadium, uh, graphite, uh, and now zinc. So it's been uh, a long and many storied uh, pieces of my career, but I've landed at the right spot at the right time. This is the biggest opportunity I've ever been given. I've been given a lot in the past and I cherish it every day. It's hard. You got to work hard. Uh, there's a lot of obstacles, but the upside is enormous for what this technology can do to help uh, clean up our environment. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's dive into that. What you guys have got going on over at Zinc 8 Energy and how the, how this all started. So when did you guys launch? When did the How did the idea come about? Fill us in. Yeah, this, uh, the idea has been around for a very long time. It started out uh, with a company down in Carlsbad, California, in the late 90s. A bunch of guys, there was lots of money down there. You had a good idea on tech and you could get money. And uh, so they had an idea to try to scale up zinc air batteries. Zinc air batteries, most people would know them as hearing aid batteries. They're not rechargeable. They're disposable. And so they put a lot of money into it initially and uh, they weren't successful. And they weren't successful for a bunch of reasons. Uh, then the portfolio patents was picked up by Tech Resources, one of the largest ink miners in the world, and they kept it behind the curtain. They were funding it for a number of years because they were hoping that this would be a new market globally for zinc uh, if somebody could get this technology uh, commercialized. Uh, after about four or five years of funding it, um, somebody, I guess at one of the board meetings, said, have you looked at uh, that zinc investment that we're making? Uh, no. Uh, well, they've made some big advances. And one of the big advances is, is that they don't use zinc. They don't consume it. They fill it up once and it's good for 20 years. So that led to a defunding because this was not going to be the big market. It was picked up by a junior miner, went public, 
And I came in when it was going public. And uh, yeah, so that's sort of the story. We took it over. It was 14 people three years ago. It's now 56. And uh, we're getting ready for our first full commercial production starting at the beginning of 2024. Cool. So, and I, and I know you just explained all that, but if you could, if you could break it down a little bit more just for the average person that may not know what in the world, this entire world even, it even exists, I, including myself, um, just what does this serve? How does it all work? What problems does it solve? If you could just yeah. go, we can just go in a couple layer, layers oh, deeper sure. just to make sure our listeners understand clearly what you guys got going on. Yeah. So one of the big problems with electrification is you have to be able to store it. So if you look at, say, a, a, a wind uh, generator, that wind generator is probably about 24% efficient because the wind blows most places a little stronger at night when nobody needs the power. So those electrons are never monetized. They just don't get monetized. So that's why in the past, uh, a lot of the renewables just were not they were not economic unless they had big subsidies from power corporations funded by governments, right? Because the uh, the object of you know carbon-free power is, is an objective that we all have to go to. However, there's economic problems with it. Economic storage can help solve that problem. And long-duration economic storage is kind of the answer if you're getting into grid level. So what happens with storage, you can better integrate renewables into your grid, okay? So if you don't need uh, the power at a certain point of time, we can hold it in these big batteries. We can hold it for a long time. We can hold it for well over 100 hours, maybe 150 hours. So, you know, you work with utilities, you see where their pinch points are. I'll give you an example in New York. Okay, they get brownouts sometimes. They get events when it's over 85 degrees in the summer and everybody turns their, uh, everybody turns their air conditioning on. Um, what we can do is, is, you know, there's algorithm that they use, and you can say, we think there's going to be four events in the next two months. Can you provide some backup power so that when we get that surge that we don't have to put our gas peaking plants on, which contributes to global warming? So the storage, the ability to store large amounts of power in a benign way uh, helps in the integration of more green energy into the grid. And that reduces your carbon footprint. So that's sort of the, so, you know, the battery itself, it's unique. Uh, we, we, no thermal runaway because it's, uh, uh, it's in a potash solution. And uh, so it doesn't burn. Like there's some other batteries out there. There's some concerns in cities like New York uh, about some of the lithium ion batteries that, that are not up to standard on scooters and they're catching fire and they're burning. The problem with lithium ion is, uh, is, it's, is, is, is its plus. The plus with lithium ion is energy density, lots of density. The problem with lithium ion is lots of density. If it goes on fire, you can't really put it out. It's got to consume everything. So we don't go on fire. We have no thermal runaway. Uh, the first charge that you put on that battery is going to be just as good as the last one 20 years later. So there's no capacity fade at all. And I think the big one right now is everything that we use to, to construct the battery can be made, uh, can be sourced in North America. So we don't have to go to China. There's nothing exotic. You don't have to worry about Russia putting the, you know, putting the screws on our nails and for geopolitical reasons. So, so there's a whole bunch of pluses with my particular technology, but there's others out there that equally are going to help us make this big transition to a low carbon economy. I love it. I, I the thought is even entered my mind. I wouldn't even, I haven't even thought of any of this at all. So <laughs> kind of the fun part of doing this show uh, and podcasting in general is learning what we don't know uh, that, that we don't know. I do know that obviously figuring out more uh, effective 
ways to maintain our planet and uh, and, and and absorb resources is at the high is obviously at the top uh, of the priority list. Um, so, uh, well, it sounds like you're doing great work and work that matters here. So this is great. It's fun to learn uh, about this. Let's talk about the startup world a, a little bit and 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 what your experience has been um, within that world. What would you say has been the best part of the startup process? Uh, the best part of it is working with the team that I've got. Uh, honestly, I mean, the, I've worked, I've been blessed through a lot of different careers. I've had incredible staff and team members all through my working life. This is the best group I've ever worked with. So, you know, they get up every morning and they're coming in and, you know, when they're driving in, they're thinking about, you know, the, the better mousetrap over on the battery side, what else can we do? So I've got these incredible people that, uh, every day come in and, and they're creating stuff that doesn't exist. So I'm around all these guys and gals that are creating stuff that we need that nobody else could do. So that's the best part. You want to know the rough part? Yeah, you know it. That was the next okay, question. I'm going to tell you. <laughs> it's being, we're a public company and in the public markets, it's tough. So, you know, you eat what you kill. And uh, so in this particular market. And if you're on the renewable side of it, so we're, we're over in the renewable side of it, you know, the traditional lenders, they don't like very much risk. They like a lot of reward. And so they, you know, you got to get some special investors that understand what they're doing and investing for the right reasons. Right. And so you're, you're constantly looking for that next, you know, bucket of money that's going to come in that gets you to the new threshold that you need to get to. And it's constant. It never ends. Uh, I would say to people that when I took over this company, it had just gone public and it probably shouldn't have, probably should have stayed private. There's lots of venture capital money. Uh, once you get into the markets, it's just different. And venture capital money, they, you know, they normally get into your company because they believe in what you're saying in the product or the service you're going to produce. In the market, it's more of a gamble. Are they going to go up a nickel? Are they going to go down a nickel? So that's a, that's a tougher one. I think if I was doing this again, if I could do it, uh, I would have kept this as a private company and uh, found those investors that got it that we are going to invest and stay. Love it. I think that happens a lot. That's very common. Yeah. I mean, to, yeah. you know, in, in retrospect, right? Monday morning quarterback mm -hmm. um, always always works out that way. So as we're starting to round out uh, 2022, by the time we're recording this episode, what are you guys excited about uh, to, mm -hmm. to, to finish the end of 2022 and going into 2023? Well, this is the next big step. Everything is a big step in the novel world, right? And uh, so, uh, you know, look, we've got 23 patents. We've got three pending and we got nine being filed. So <clears throat> the brains of my team keep getting better, 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 better. <clears throat> so next year, um, end of this year, we will announce where we're going to put our first manufacturing plant. And that is a big leap from a lab to uh, a manufacturing facility. We just announced that we will be moving from Canada to the United States. And that is a direct result of federal programs that were announced over the last two to three months to encourage <clears throat> this type of, of technology to it to go to the United States and build uh, sustainable jobs in manufacturing for renewables. So we made that decision. We press released it. <clears throat> we're looking heavily at New York, obviously. Uh, New York has been very good to us. New York has given us every major breakthrough has come out of New York for us, everyone. So, <clears throat> and I believe that you know, you dance with the one that brung you. I, I'm not sure we would have been here if we hadn't won the first couple of uh, contracts out of New York. And so I want to, you know, if we can do it, I want to get back to New York. So I want to make that that decision soon. 
And then we have to go further down and look at where we're going to locate, what's the best fit, not just for technology, but also, I, you know, I come from a small coal mining town, okay? And <clears throat> it was owned by foreign interests, British Steel and Coal Company. And my grandmother used to say the only thing that they left behind was black lung and widows. <laughs> and so I've always felt that, you know, that you need to give back to the community that gives you that break. And so we're, we're looking for that community. I think we found it. We're discussing some things. And, you know, end of this year to make those announcements is really transformative for the company, but it will be transformative for the community that we select to build this, uh, this plant. Because over five years, it's going to be 500 jobs, you know, so that's uh, nothing to sneeze at. The Not challenge is going to be to make that transition next year. So Absolutely. I'm going to need a lot of people smarter than me to, uh, to assist us to get that done. Well, I'm sure you guys are going to knock it out of the park and uh, continue to do you know, great work. Ron, I got to ask, have you ha have you ever had to field any Ronald McDonald jokes? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's like me saying I've never had to field a Little Mermaid joke. <laughs> well, I got to tell you, um, when I, I grew up in a little town of 8,000 people, there was at least six Ronald, Ronald, Mick McDonald's. And so everybody, wow. everybody had a, like a kind of a nickname, but, uh, so it was just normal to me and there was no McDonald's when I grew up. And, uh, so <clears throat> when I went to university, I'll tell you, it was helpful when you'd have a name tag on and, you know, some yeah. of the girls would come over. Sure. Say, Is that really your name? And I'm going, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why are they coming to me? I thought it was me. No, it was the name. But when I got into politics, it helped a great deal because I would, when I was working for the deputy prime minister and I would make a call just after I got working. And nobody ever takes calls right? politically. Nobody, nobody's ever around. And I'd say, well, could you have them call uh, Ron, Ronald McDonald back? <laughs> and, and they would go, oh, no, is this Jeff? Is this Jim? You're one of, one of their buddies, right? And sure. I said, no, this is Ronald McDonald. I'm the chief of staff to the uh, leader of the Senate. Yeah. I would get through immediately. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Please <laughs> so, so I can't work for you. Oh, I think he's here now. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's great. That's great. That was a great movie. I enjoyed that movie with uh, Michael Keaton. Founder, I think, was the name of it. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. the uh, McDonald's story on there. Well, yeah. uh, we're out of time here, but it's been great to chat with you, Ron. Uh, any final thoughts for our listeners? Uh, yeah. I mean, everybody's got to uh, put their shoulder to the wheel on this fight uh, against, against climate change. This is real. I just told you, my hometown is devastated down in Cape Breton Island. And I grew up there. and We would get tail ends of hurricanes. This is something we've never seen. And for it to go up in what normally should have been cold Atlantic waters, it didn't. It strengthened just before it hit. Luckily, nobody in my hometown or my, my home island was killed. But this is real, folks. And we all got to make sure that we keep pushing all of our state, uh, federal, and local officials to do every single thing they can to decarbonize. Because you're seeing how fast this thing is taking. It's not going to be 50 years now, uh, be 50 years from now when it hits. It's hitting now. So, you know, just encourage and support. Do your own, do, do what you can to reduce your carbon footprint. It will all matter in the end. Great advice, Ron. And uh, thanks again for your time. And, and I just want to encourage you to keep doing uh, the great work that you're doing, work that matters, work that's uh, making an impact and leaving this planet uh, a better place. It's been great to chat with you. And again, thanks for your time. Oh, anytime at all. Until Bye. next time, friends. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Grit Daily Startup. If you haven't done so already, make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you consume podcasts. This way you'll get updates as new episodes become available. This podcast is brought to you by Grit Daily 
gritdaily.com, the premier startup news hub. More information at gritdaily.com. Once again, I'm your host, Sebastian Rusk. Until next time, friends. Connect with your potential customers wherever they are. Effective uses Comcast viewership data insights to combine advanced targeting capabilities with premium TV and streaming content so you can deliver the best ad experiences to your audience no matter how they watch. Visit EFFECTV.com.